ever tried to drive down that road called not trusting God? You know, especially when you think you can do it better your way. What usually happens? Yeah, you end up not trusting God more and more, and then you get bitter, and then you just leave. And that is exactly what we see here in Ruth chapter 1. We've got some hard times that are falling upon a family, and they decide to, rather than trust God, trust themselves and another country. And that's where we find the trouble. Welcome to Abounding Grace. Pastor Chris Gordon takes us to Ruth chapter 1, verses 6 through 22. The message is simply entitled, Naomi's Bitter Exodus. Join us for a very encouraging look at how to avoid bitterness. Here's Chris. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malon and Chilion. They were Ephrathites, Ephrathites from the Bethlehem in Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other was Ruth. They lived there about ten years, and both Malon and Chilion died, so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you, as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, No, we will return with you and to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in the womb, womb that, you may become, that they may become your husbands? Turn back. My daughters, go your way, for I'm too old to have a husband. If I should say that I have hope, even if I should say I have, have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait till they, are, they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it's exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law but Ruth clung to her, and she said, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. Now when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said, No more. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women said, Is this Naomi? She said to them, Do not call me Naomi, call me Mara. 
for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? So Naomi returned and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, with her, who returned from the country of Moab. And they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. And there ends of the reading of God's Word. Uh, last week, we uh, opened up this study in the book of Ruth, chapter 1. Uh, we looked at the first five verses, and it was somewhat a, a difficult opening uh, to study what had happened in Israel, uh, what had happened among um, God's people, because it really does uh, capture for us uh, the spirit of the times in which Israel was living and their relationship with the Lord. You remember in, in verses one, in verse one, it said, "In the days when the judges ruled." What a statement. There was a famine in the land. That was a commentary helping us. That was a great comment telling us how to understand the book and to understand the times in which this book comes to us. Everyone, as we looked at, the end of, of Judges ends, the last statement was there was no king in Israel and everyone was doing what was right in their own eyes. There was no repentance. There was no looking to the Lord. They must have thought that the, the idea of the God of Israel was some old concept that they didn't have to take seriously anymore. There was no help. They didn't go to the Lord for help. The people were living. Now, isn't this remarkable? The people were living as if God didn't exist. You know, we expect certain behaviors from the world. But it should be remarkable that this book comes to us and that right from the beginning in the covenant community, we see this very problem where there was no seeking of the Lord. The famine, of course, was another marker for us to understand the book. That in the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament times, when these famines would come, they were, they were called covenant curses upon the land for their rejection of the Lord. Uh, there would be blessing and curse. And the curses had fallen on the people. Nothing was going well. This was right out of Deuteronomy. I will hit your kneading bowls. I'll take your bread. I'll take all your stuff. It's really um, fascinating if you have some time this afternoon. Go read Isaiah 3 through 5. That the same covenant curses had fallen in those days. And how everything from the pendants on the head that the women wore on the heads. And all the beautiful scarves and all the beautiful jewelry. He hid it all. It was all taken away. All the excess was struck. It's really interesting to study these times. The famine was a signal that things were not going well and that the, the, the covenant people had, had departed from the Lord. Well, here we are, uh, and, and, and this family has decided, we don't really want to put up with this. We're going to move to Moab. We're out. We're not going to go through this. And someone asked me, well, was it, was it okay last week? For what, why, why? It seemed, I, you know, I think most of us would say we would leave the land in this, in this moment. And it's a little different from simply moving another place in the U.S. That's not what this is about. This was the land in the Old Testament was the land of milk and honey. 
that God had promised to them was in America. And, and, and the land of milk and honey was where God's blessing was upon them. He had brought them and delivered them to give them that land. Nothing was right about leaving. That's so clear in this text. And Naomi knows it. She'll say that later. And they paid the price dearly for this. The marvel of the story is, as we open this up, and as we'll see today, is that God uh, shows us his character and his help to them and what he thought. And we get this window into God's dealings with us uh, through the story of this family that had made such a terrible decision and how God would work in the Old Testament. You see why the book's so important. God would take this little story, this little family, and from this mess that you're studying would show us the whole plan of salvation through Jesus Christ. That's a marvel. And that's what we're supposed to feel through this, uh, see through this. The point here, of course, is that God was not against Naomi. God was working to bring her home. But not just that, God was going to bring her home with a great gift, a gift that she wouldn't even see initially. God does not abandon us in the midst of our failure. Oh, God has a plan for our lives. Sometimes it's not the plan we like that's the problem. We assume when we read those verses, I have this plan for you to prosper you and bless you. That's the only side of it. You'll see Jeremiah 29, 11 plastered everywhere. But you don't see the other side of the story. And that's why this, this, this passage is important. That in times of great darkness, what it's showing is God will not abandon his people. Open your eyes and see, even in the darkness of his chastisement, the indescribable gift that he's opening your eyes to see. And that's how we're going to look at this today uh, as we open up this, this section. I want you to notice here there is a painful exodus that is described up front. And then what follows is Naomi's bitter complaint and then the unacknowledged gift. And that's what this uh, section is showing us, this painful exodus, the bitter complaint, and the unacknowledged gift. So let's um, begin with this painful exodus that's here. Uh, we looked at last time that due to the famine in the land... Where Bethlehem was called the house of bread. It's the name, meaning of Bethlehem. The irony was there was no bread in Bethlehem. The narrator zeroes in on this man named Elimelech, Naomi, and their two sons. Looking over to Moab, oh, it's much better there. There's greener pastures. There's food. There's prosperity there. And so they packed up. And they left their people. Now hold that thought. It's, it's a big point. They separated from God and his people. God was in Israel. Now what we're going to see is God, God is omnipresent. God is not limited to the borders of Israel. But we know that that's what an Israelite thought. So they packed up and thought, we can escape this. It captured, of course, as I said, the spirit of the times. You know, there was no prayer. There was no seeking of the Lord. I, I said last time, um, it, it was not as if the people were starving to death. God still provided for them. Life got hard for them. It would be like today in the midst of hardship, everyone running around trying to solve all their problems in the covenant community without looking to the Lord. No prayer in the homes. No gathering at the table. That's all gone 
that Pygon generations had done, those things are just gone. And, and really, if you look at the course of the weeks, there's no real spiritual life among God's people. That's the time we're in here in this book. And you can draw the lines of correlation to ask the question if there's any real tie to our time. But here, what we have is, is the great truth that you're never really able to run from anything. No matter what you think you're getting away from, you'll never get away from it. In fact, it'll probably get a lot worse when you try. God will never let his people just run from him. Now, you could stand back from that and say, well, that's, that scares me, and I think that's one of the best news in the world. <laughs> God's not going to let you run. And when you try it, you may go for a while, and things are going to get really hard on you if you want to try that. If you can't miss that here, you can't escape hardship in life. You can't escape it. The reality was, it was an appointed famine. And the intention of the famine was what? Just to make life hard on God's people? Well, of course not. The intention of the famine was to bring them back to him. The intention of the famine was to draw his people back in repentance. It meant that God was, was using the famine to put his people on their knees. Now, the general way God does that is Romans 2. This is the standard way God does it. This is the normal way God does it. The goodness of God should lead you to repentance. In other words, look at all your blessing in life. Look at all the goodness God's flooded you with. Look at all the care. Look at all the kindness. Look at all the provision. All these good gifts that you enjoy as a people. That should lead you to repentance. But what do we do with them? We grab them. And we bow to them. And we make them idols. And we trust in those things. And we get absorbed in all the, the stuff of the world. And all of a sudden... When everything's going well and there's much prosperity and there's much gain and there's much happiness and there's much good gifts, all of a sudden you look very much at an apathetic people to the Lord. I mean, that's just history. He's proven this. So what does God do? Well, taught us something very important about difficulty through the common covenant curses of the Old Testament. Either way, the Lord had the goal of restoration. The Lord had the goal of bringing his people home. The Lord had the goal of chastising and, and drawing his people back to him. Well, I can promise you, chastisement knows no borders. Chastisement knows no borders. It knows no bounds. And nothing in God's providence here, as we're studying this passage, went well. The narrative wants you to fill in this story. It's a really bad situation that happened. With a stroke of a pen, Elimelech dies. And then with another stroke, her two sons die. An unfathomable situation to an Israelite to think of, well, at least in those days, because this is how a woman, this is how a woman was cared for and, and survived in those days. If your husband died, your sons would care for you. But this is one of the worst of predicaments. There are three widows in this passage, two of which are Moabites. 
And now she's alone with no one to care for her. Is that true? Well, that's what the story is prompting us to see. (laughs) Who is the real husband here? Now, this is where we enter this narrative today. This is where the exodus begins. This exodus is a glorious exodus, but a difficult one. She has, the word has come in the fields of Moab. Isn't it interesting that the pagans are talking? God has visited his people with bread. He didn't visit Naomi with bread outside the land, did he? Bad choice. God has visited Israel with bread. The intended effect of the famine at some point in the time of the judges had put the people on their knees and they called out to the Lord and he delivered them. He helped them. He loved them. What a chilling statement. He visited not with judgment. This word is often used with judgment. He visited with blessing. The land again was fruitful. The land again was full of bread and food. We read in verse 6, Then she arose with her daughters-in-law that she might return from the country of Moab. For she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. In Naomi's choice, there was no other choice but to go home in her mind. She had not been visited with blessing. She had been visited with hardship. So here she is with her two daughters, daughters daughters-in-law, on the road now back to the house of bread, back to Bethlehem. It's quite a moment and a scene. You have to understand this, this scene. They're on the way, and all of a sudden Naomi stops, and I think the realization of the situation must have really hit her. I'm coming back home. The shame of this. With two Moabites. My husband's dead. My sons are dead. These are symbols of my pain. I don't, I don't. She turns around, go home. Go home. I want you to go home. And this dialogue now begins of this great pressure of Naomi trying to force. Now, now, now you can read the narrative. And you can stand back from this. And you realize that in the midst of this, that the the greatest blessing is right there that the Lord was sending her home with already. She doesn't see that. She doesn't quite like this blessing. Wasn't the most exciting of blessings. She now actually tries to turn away the Lord's favor to her with great force to push her daughters-in-law back to Moab. Humanly speaking, it makes total sense. If, if, notice verse some, verse 12. She says to her daughters-in-law, they want to stay. I can't give you sons. I'm too old, verse 12. If I should say that I have hope. Well, I think that's a crucial word here. A crucial word that is chosen here in the Hebrew. Septuagint uses confidence. The word means confidence. I have no hope. I have nothing to offer you. It would be far better for you to go back to Moab. And you get the sense from Naomi that really she wishes she could have stayed in, 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 in Moab. It would be far better for you to go back. Go back. Verse 15. 
be with your gods. It's unreal, isn't it? She's gone back to her gods, she'll say of Orpah. Well, this is a painful exodus home. Who brought her home? See, all this is, we're being teased with the questions of, of what is the Lord's disposition? What is the Lord doing here? He's not been mentioned much in this whole section. What, what, What is he doing? What is Naomi's perspective? How is she trying to interpret providence? How is she trying to interpret her reality? What is she doing right now? And all that, all we know is we're watching an exodus happen and it doesn't look very glorious. Hold that thought. Now comes the bitter complaint. Four things are said of the Lord in this passage. I want you to notice in verse 13. She says to them, No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Verse 20. In fact, when she gets to the town... And she says, what does she say? Notice this in, in, uh, in verse 20. They say, this is Naomi. This is Naomi. No, I am not Naomi anymore. I've got a new name. You call me Mara. Because the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full. I had everything when we left the land. And he gave me a blow and he took them all. And I'm bitter. That's what you call me, bitter. And then she ends up, the Almighty has brought calamity on me. <laughs> that is a, that's a remarkable thing to say. You have to kind of stop for a minute and get into the psychology of how she's thinking, don't you? It's interesting to do that for a minute and think about this and look at it. On the one hand, you know, it's a remarkable thing to look at an Israelite mind here in how they thought about life. There was no view of chance. <laughs> there, was, there was no view of random chance in the Israelite mind. Even though she's way off in interpreting providence here, there was no view of random chance. There, there was such an understanding in the Israelite mind that God was this intimately involved with his people. She recognizes that even outside the land, she couldn't escape God's choices for her. Good or bad. Whatever they were, it it involved the direct hand of the Lord. That's how the Israelite thought. Pastor Chris Gordon here today on Abounding Grace. We thank you for spending time with us today. It is always our hope and our earnest prayer that our time together encourages you in your walk and relationship with Christ. Now, to that end, we have a variety of ways that you can reach out to us, along with a variety of tools that you can use throughout the week to further encourage your walk and relationship with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Reach out to us on our website, agradio.org. That's agradio.org. Or if you prefer, give us a call, 888-504-8805. Now, Abounding Grace Radio can be found on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. You can even visit our website for links to these platforms that you like to follow. 
Again, agradio.org. You'll also find Pastor Chris's blog there. We do have downloads of previous messages that you've heard here on the program. And if you're interested in redirecting some of your financial resources to Abounding Grace Radio, AG Radio is listener-supported. You, along with others, have seen the value of this program and how it speaks into your life spiritually. So if you're someone who sees the value of this program for your growth in Christ, get in touch with us. No gift is too small or too large, either a one-time gift or reoccurring. It all sustains this program right here on this station. You can donate online at agradio.org or call 888-504-8805 or lick a stamp and send a check through the mail. Abounding Grace Radio, P.O. Box 732, Linden, Washington. The zip code is 98264. And by the way, if you've got a question for Pastor Chris, he'd love to hear it. Simply fire up your voice memo app on your smartphone, record your question, and then email it to us, questions at agradio.org. It's that simple. If we play your question on the air, we'll let you know when and send you an email back. Thank you again for joining us today. Until next time, God bless. Abounding Grace is brought to you on this radio station by Abounding Grace Radio Ministries. Hi, this is Chris Gordon, pastor of the Escondido United Reformed Church. I'd like to invite you to our Sunday worship services at 9.30 a.m. and 5 o'clock p.m. on Sunday. We have two worship services, 9.30 a.m. and 5 o'clock p.m. We preach Christ and Him crucified with the goal that you would live in the joy of this comfort in the knowledge of the forgiveness of all of your sins. 1864 North Broadway is the address here in Escondido. We'd love to see you this Sunday.